Hey, kids. You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Well, we've been kind of hinting about this on and off for the past couple of months, but now we are truly on the countdown to episode 101, and this episode is part of the final four. Yeah, you heard that right, kids. Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo is going on a bit of a hiatus, but we do have four all-new episodes with new guest artists coming your way. So as soon as we finish being blinded with science, we'll be right back. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another song from my well-spent youth. We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard one of, well, to me anyway, one of the quintessential 1980s tunes, Thomas Dolby's She Blinded Me With Science, from his Golden Age of Wireless album back in 1982. Yes, 82. One more song for my well-spent youth. It's my show. I could put the songs on that I want, at least for the openers. The rest of the songs were picked 
by our guest artist of the week. This is kind of meta because our guest artist this week picked this to open their episode. Let's see if you can figure out the connection.
And we're back again with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Well, that song kind of sounded like it could have been from the 1980s, right? Only it's from 2008. It's by We Are Scientists. The song is called After Hours, and it's from their Brain Thrust Mastery album. Again, from 2008. Hmm. See that connection there? (laughs) Well... We'll find out what it is and more soon enough, because now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week! Woohoo! I'm sitting here with a storyteller who hasn't been at the storytelling game very long and someone who I don't know very long, but I saw him at a performance last year and I knew I had to have him on, on the show because he is definitely one of the weirdos <laughs> in the best possible way. Thank you. Please welcome the fish out of Agua, Mike Cho. Hello. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be here. Yo, good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, we've been talking about getting you on the show for some time and I'm glad that it worked when it did. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, I ask this question of everyone when we begin our chat together. How and where did we meet? Uh, I'm curious if you remember. Uh, the first time that I met you, to my recollection, it was at uh, Friday Night Stories. It was at Colin Wilms' show. Oh, right. I know. He's, and he's... It, was, it was his final show at Hi-Fi, so he had a lot of great people on it. Uh, and, yeah, you, you told this great story about... Um, Growing up in the 80s and how Madonna stole your look? (laughs) Well, we don't know if it was Madonna. (laughs) That was the whole point of the story. (laughs) No, but yeah, I I love that story. So I. I, Well, thank you. Yeah, so uh, I I, I know we said hello, but I don't think we really met Matt until the show that you were talking about earlier. Jeff Rose's I Have a Crazy Idea. Yes. Which was a great premise for a show. Everybody just did something that they would hardly ever do or just had a whim to do. It's now on hiatus. Remember it was last winter. I have a crazy idea to wear a costume, and I brought back my 90s, early 2000s performance art character, Karma Mafungo, for one night only. And you were a cat. I was a cat. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do a character. I put on a mask basically and play guitar but also uh on that night in jeff rose's show he had a funny idea to exhibit more cat-like behaviors yeah you were really channeling that cat there (laughs) no i'm telling you that 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 was it when i saw you doing that you were committed (laughs) i was like i this is the kind of like performance art stuff that i would see on a regular basis in the around the turn of the century believe me there were a lot of weirdos there and you would have fit right in with them well that's very flattering and uh, yeah i I would love to bring uh bring the cat back yeah bring back the cat (laughs) (laughs) so um mike i can tell by your accent, or lack of one, that you are not from New York. So where are you from? I am from L.A. I moved here in 2002. I grew up in the Valley, so, uh, you oh. know, it's, it's very, very suburban upbringing. But and you don't have a Valley accent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you so missed that. No, uh, it, it comes out sometimes. Oh, a, okay. lot, a lot of do's, oh, dudes. Okay. And, uh, okay. 
you know, likes and you knows, although that's fairly universal now. And that's just a stereotype. So where is your family from? Uh, my family's from Korea. And I was actually born in Korea. But really? Yeah, but I uh, moved to the United States when I was very young. My parents were already living in America at the time. But when my mother was about to give birth to me, uh, she flew back to Korea for a few months because English was not her first language and she wanted to be around her family and around doctors who spoke Korean. So she spent the last uh, few months of her pregnancy in Korea and I was born and then I was brought here uh, when I was like two or three months old. Wow. I'm thinking that a lot of times people like when they immigrate from another country, they do things the opposite. They want to make sure that the baby's born in the United States. Huh. And she did the opposite. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they were already citizens and, okay. and all that at the so time. So when did they come to this country? Uh, my father came in 69 or 70, and my mother came uh, a year or two after that. Do you consider yourself a first generation? Or is it kind of like weird because they were already, they became citizens? Like Yeah, I think technically I'm, I'm second generation. Okay. Yeah. Can you speak Korean? Not really. Uh, can you fake it? <laughs> uh, I can order in restaurants. I, I can speak like mom English or mom Korean, but uh, I have trouble with actual, uh, you know, thoughts and ideas. But when I lived in Korea for almost two years. And uh, when I lived there, you know, just because I was immersed in it and, and practicing it every day, I, I got much better. But then when I moved back here and it all just uh, went away again. I totally get it. It's, it's hard to be bilingual. I really, really admire people that are truly, truly bilingual. Me too. I, I wish I had uh, tried harder to, uh, to learn and, well, and retain a lot. You of still friends. can. You just have to practice it. So do you have siblings? Uh, yeah, I have two brothers. Uh, they, uh, uh, one lives in uh, the Seattle area and another, the other one lives in L.A. So are they both older than you? Yes, and I'm you're the so, youngest. You're the baby. Yeah. Oh. You can see where this is leading. So when did you know that you were one of the weirdos? <laughs> that you were going to be creative, creating something, even if you didn't know what that was? Uh, I, I know I always wanted to do creative stuff when I was younger, but my parents were, they, they were artistic. My, both of my parents, they sang. They, they were very good uh, opera and, and choral singers. And wow. My, yeah, my mother, uh, she painted and she played violin, so... There was always, like, art. So you come from an artistic family. Uh, yes, except I don't know if they really valued art. Um, art was just seen as, I think, like, just something fun to do on the weekend or something to put on your college transcript. Like, it was never really, like, the, the, the creative or the expressive part was never really encouraged that much. But I always, yeah, I, I always wanted to write since I was a kid. I how did that manifest itself? Did you write, uh, were you a poet? Did you write short stories? Did you write plays? Oh, I, I wrote a lot of stories. Um, yeah. I was always, you know, writing stories and thinking of characters. And, you know, I loved sci-fi as a kid, so I was always just making up stuff. Did you act it out? Uh, yeah, I would, I would do some like of that stuff. Run around stuff. the house with a cape and <laughs> be, I'm so-and-so from the planet, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if, if I had more friends, I probably would have done stuff and like that. And are your siblings way older than you, or did, were you able to enlist them in your in your art? Uh, not really. They were. We, we were a very, I think, serious family. My middle brother, Hughes, he drew a lot, but, you know, that was always pushed toward. Be an architect, be, a, be an engineer, you know. That's so common with immigrant families. It's like, oh, okay, yes, we can sing. Oh, you like to play music? Make money. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I'm going to say that because your parents both had creative bents, that creativity wasn't discouraged. It was just maybe just like, don't make this your main focus? Uh, it was sort of like creativity on, on their terms, uh, not on my own. Gotcha. Yeah, they tried to give me music lessons as a kid, and, you know, I, I wish I had kept it up and, you know, learned the fundamentals and stuff. But it was always just something else to put in the, like, family trophy case, you mm. know? It, it was never about the art or about the, the music. Were academics encouraged oh, then yeah. and when your family? Yeah. And was that like the stereotype? Yes, very much so. Yes, the Asian, the Asian parents, the Korean parents. So you you were pushed towards STEM before there was before people knew there was STEM. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did all three of you rebel against this in your own small way? Uh, I I think we did. I mean, it. But for me, it it didn't really feel like rebellion. It just it felt like I just wanted to to live my life you and know? be yourself right yeah. and express yourself yeah now were you able to do this in school when you were young no not really no but you were writing all the time so did you like store it on floppy disk did yeah, you have a exactly. notebook that you hid in the drawer <laughs> yeah i have i have lots of notebooks i continue to have lots of notebooks do you still so. have floppy disks <laughs> I, prob- you- <laughs> I probably somewhere do yeah no i there there was definitely had a little in places in my closet and in, in drawers. Now, did your teachers, um, I'm going to talk about like when you were in grade school when you were still a kid, mm-hmm. did your teachers recognize anything in you and did they try to encourage you? Uh, not to my recollection. Okay. I, I was just a very uh, mediocre student. Were you bored? Were you not challenged? Was it because you, would, you did not want to be studying what you wanted to be studying and you preferred to be writing and drawing instead? I don't know. I just didn't feel very involved and feel very engaged in it. Mm. Okay. So as you got older, um, like when you went to high school, were you able to express yourself, your creativity more there? It never really turned into anything. I would just, it was, you know, something I would just do privately and write in my notebooks. And I mean, pretty much the only subject that I remember liking in high school was English because, you know, you read a lot of literature and I, I loved reading. Was there any author that spoke to you particularly during that time that maybe was inspiring to you or that made you think, I can do better <laughs> or equal? Uh, there, there was this author named uh, Sherwood Anderson who wrote a book called Winesburg, Ohio. I remember really liking that book in high school. Um, yeah, but other than that, we had we had the basics. You know, we had the uh, the Fitzgerald and the Hemingway and Steinbeck and all the you know, old all, dead, all the greatest the hits. old dead white men. Exactly. <laughs> No, there wasn't that much representation in high school. I think that you had you had the one book written by the African American, the one book written by the Latin American, and what was the Asian American book? So that that was it, right? I in high school, I don't even know if we had that much. I'm curious what school is like now. I yeah. know I know in college, uh, there was def- they definitely tried to mix it up a little bit. But well, one would hope, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Did you ever think that you would be able to make? writing or being creative your lifestyle what were you being pushed towards to become as an adult um i i think because they saw that i wasn't really interested in science or math uh, i remember i was always being pushed to be a lawyer did yeah. you talk a lot no i didn't. <laughs> I wrote a lot ah. and they were like oh yeah lawyers they write all the time be a lawyer <laughs> oh that makes that makes perfect sense <laughs> yeah exactly and i work in a law firm now so you know, the universe. So did, well, yeah, so I guess you made them half happy. (laughs) They're half happy. So where did you go to college? Uh, I did my undergrad at UCLA. 
And what were you majoring in? I majored in English. Um, I didn't really have a plan. My parents, I think, thought, you know, I could get into law school or something. And I didn't know. I had no idea what I wanted to do or where I wanted to be. Did you write for a college newspaper? Did you did you join a club? Did you do drama club or anything like that? Uh, no. Um, I remember I tried to get in. There was a writing class that I tried to get into. You have to, like, submit something to get in. And I submit something, and I never heard back. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. How, how was that for you? It, it made me kind of sad, but it's life. Things wow. happen. I, I liked being out on my own more. Not completely, but at least more than I was uh, in high school. Mm. We, and you were continuing to write the whole time? Yeah. Did you ever think of, of getting any of your stories published? Uh, yeah, I tried. I actually was published in a couple uh, very small, very limited run uh, literary uh, journals. That's cool. Yeah. And what did your parents say about that? Uh, you know, they thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. Oh, okay. Very <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah. Very nice. Now get a job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when you graduated, what kind of job did you get? I struggled very much trying to find a job. So my first real job was uh, I taught English in Korea. That's when I moved to Korea mm. after uh, undergrad in 96 and most of 97. And that was a really fun experience, just, um, you know, being on my own and meeting all these people and just... You know, I, I had spent my entire, like, literally my entire life in the suburbs. I'd never spent more than a long weekend outside of, outside of my house. So now, suddenly, just living in a city and all these new people and all these new things, that, that was really fun. Wow. So you would say, then, that you had a pretty sheltered childhood and very young adulthood? Yes, very much so. Wow. So what, what was there, like, a big culture shock for you to, to go and live in Korea, even though you obviously are Korean, yeah. but was there a big culture shock? Oh yeah, it was it was huge. Like I'd never lived in a in a city before. I'd never lived. Were in, you in Seoul? Uh, I was outside of Seoul. I was in a city called Suwon, which is uh, a couple miles uh, south of Seoul. Mm. Uh, at the time, it was the very last stop on the subway, but um, every year that city. Seoul just gets bigger and just it expands. Like, yeah, it just like swallows up more and more of the uh, wow the surrounding suburbs. It was, it was really fun, it was, especially growing up in, in a in a sleepy suburb and bedroom community. You know, you you dream about living in the city and just being in the center of everything. And uh, yeah, for the first time, I was uh, feeling sort of like that. Wow! Did you ever in, um, entertain the thought of? staying there and not coming back to the United States? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I signed a contract with the school that I worked in for two years, and then after that ended, I came back to the States uh, you know, to renew my visa and stuff because I was fully intending to go back and stay there longer, maybe forever, I don't know. Um, but... Uh, the time when I uh, when I came that summer that I came back that coincided pretty much exactly with the big uh, economic collapse that oh. happened in Asia. Uh, that was in '97. Mm. So, a lot of the the work where you get the big money as a teacher is doing corporate stuff. You know, either doing private lessons or um, or a corporation will hire the school that you're working in to send teachers there. Uh, couple times a week to, to teach a class. So uh, after the big economic collapse, they just started shutting down all of these programs. Wow. So it affected that entire part oh of that God. world. Oh, my God. 
because at least I got to finish out the uh, the contract. Well, I'm assuming you went back to California yes. to you know where, where you were from. Yeah. Um, were you like at an impasse, saying to yourself like, what am I going to do next? Very much so. I think it's just something about living at home. I just feel paralyzed. Like I, yeah, I, yeah. And then you're like, why am I home? Yeah, yeah. I, need, I need to get out. What am I doing here? <laughs> so, did you go to grad school? Uh, yeah. After a couple years of just floundering and just doing random things, I, I wound up uh, going to grad school for uh, library science. This was in the late '90s and early 2000s. You know, the internet was. Uh, you know, first getting huge, and everybody was talking about information retrieval and indexing, and I can't even think of all the the, the buzz terms that they were using. Because they probably the don't exist anymore. Yeah, <laughs> the language all, has probably changed. Yeah, it's all changed. And uh, also, there was this movie called Party Girl. It, it, it's funny. Um, that movie, it inspired so many people to go to library school because that's what she winds up doing at the end. So, it, it, you know, you you think it's like a like a. Um, like a private thing that's something that only happened to you but the more you talk to people around my age who went to library school at the same time as I did every one of them will say like oh my god party girl that's why I went to library oh school oh my god that's so funny and plus i i'm kind i'm kind of a, a late bloomer so all of this a lot there's a lot of stuff that i think people figure out like in their teens or in high school that it took me a really long time to figure out. Hey, you know, everybody's got their own path to walk. and I'd rather be a late bloomer than be the person that is done by the time they're 18 because then where they have nowhere to go. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Seriously. Like half the people I went to high school. Oh, with. my God. Like, holla, holla. <laughs> but you had continued to write the entire time. Uh, yeah, that, that never stopped. Okay. Like, if someone would have asked you at that time, what would have been your dream for your writing? What would you have told them? I, I wanted to write novels. I also wanted to write screenplays. I actually wrote a couple screenplays and um, sent them out, and they, none of them were very good. One of them was kind of uh, surreal fantasy, I guess. Most of the stuff that I wrote that was very, um, you know, reality-based. People talking in cafes a lot. That's very 90s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that is so 90s. Yeah. Oh my I God. was watching so many movies. I'm like, Were oh, they yeah. smoking clove cigarettes? Oh, totally. Oh, my God. I remember. I used to love cloves. Me too. Oh, I still God. kind of, like, every once in a while, I'd smell somebody smoking one. And I, I just really want to grow. I want to, like, walk right behind somebody. I was like, can you blow it in my face, please? <laughs> uh, I was grabbing cloves when my, whenever my friend had them. Uh, I'm not sure what brand they were. T- talking about the antiquated habit of smoking. Oh, yeah. So, uh, going back to grad school, you continue as a library science major the whole what, two-year program? Uh, yes. And you, so you graduated with a master's in, in library science? Yes. Okay. M- uh, MLIS, M-L-I-S. Master of Library Information. I like telling people that not only am I a scientist, but I am a science master. Wow. I, I have the piece of paper to prove it. That sounds like a level of Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> yeah, or right. something like science that. Master. I am the science master. <laughs> So were you able to, at this point, to get a job and move out on your own completely? Uh, yes. That's, Hooray! Yes, finally. That's actually when I moved to uh, New York. Oh, so what made you want to come to New York? Because, uh, uh, again, just growing up in, in that quiet suburb like that, you just dream about living in the center of everything, and you can't get more center of everything than at New York City. It was always something that I wanted to do, and so I just, I was, I was finishing up with school, and I just made up my mind that this was what I was going to do. And you didn't entertain the thought of going to a starter city first. You were like, I'm just going straight no, to New York. I'm just diving right in. Did you know anybody in New York at the time? I did not. Wow. Mm-hmm. So did you have a job? 
I did not. I had a lot of interviews set up. I was very hopeful. So I had it in my head that, uh, like, wow, you know, once I get there, I'm just going to be going out all the time. So I, I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I certainly yeah, thought it would well, be easier. So did you have any culture shock in New York? Or I guess you had already known what big city life was when you were in Seoul. So right. but was there any, like, East Coast, West Coast thing? Uh, yeah, definitely. The weather really affected me. You know, in L.A., it... It, it never gets any colder than like 50. I moved here in April, but I remember just like it, it like snowed the day after I moved here. Oh yeah, April is like the cruelest month. You could still be wearing four wool sweaters and it's April 30th. Yeah. So which job yeah. did you end up getting? Well, I tamped and live off of credit cards for almost a full year. Well, wow. and where and were you then- living? Uh, I, my, the very first place I lived in New York was on Roosevelt Island. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, par- nobody lives on Roosevelt Island. It was, it was an apartment that I found on Yahoo Classifieds. That's how oh long ago this God. was. This was like before Airbnb. This was before Craigslist. I lived there for a few months and then I moved out on my own to the Upper East Side on East 70th. So the rents were cheaper in the Upper East? Yeah, it was very cheap. All the college kids were living there. And One big dorm, huh? Yeah. No, 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 no Q train. Oh, no, not at all. I had to, had to walk like 15 minutes just to get to the subway. So did you ever get a library science job? Uh, I did. So after, after temping and starving for a year, I finally got a job at a law firm. And it's the same firm that I work in today. I don't work in the library anymore, but I still work for the same oh. uh, law firm, yeah. Now, in your timeline, this is the early 2000s? Uh, yes. And you were continuing to write the whole time? Uh, yeah, the weird thing is, like, the one gap in my in my writing it actually happened after I moved here, which is very ironic because I moved here because I wanted to write. You know, it, you know, you're in New York. This is, you know, everybody's a writer in New York, and there's just supposed to be all these things happening and all these stories and all these people. And so I thought I would just be totally inspired and just write all the time here. But my first couple of years here, I barely wrote anything at all. I, do you, do you think you were just adjusting to your new life? I was just very stressed out. Uh, I was I was very lonely. I didn't know anybody. I, I, I don't want to say I was depressed, but I just didn't feel like doing anything, you know? So, and how how many years did you feel like you were in a limbo? Jeez, maybe like two or three years. Wow. Yeah. So what do you think was the tipping point that got you out of that? Did you go to any open mics? Did you do anything with music? Did you join in, make join any writers groups? I, I went to a lot of shows, a lot of music stuff, a lot of concerts, um, stand-up and uh, you know burlesque shows, variety shows, that kind of thing. Did what? you ever entertain the thought of doing comedy or improv? Uh, I had thought about it. I had a lot of friends who were doing shows and doing creative things, and I would help them out. You know, I would maybe write something or just even just setting up, helping setting up the venue and cleaning up and taking tickets and things like that. And there was a point a couple years ago, it was actually right around my 40th birthday, you know, stereotypical midlife crisis kind of stuff. I was just kind of looking at my life and thinking of things I wanted to do differently. And I thought it would be fun to just stop being such a behind-the-scenes person and to actually go out on stage and try doing stuff myself. Wow. And how did that manifest itself? Is this the time that you found storytelling? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I played music in front of people for the first time, and that was pretty fun. Well, yeah. that's fantastic. So had you been playing guitar for yourself all the time as well as you were writing, like, concurrently? 
Uh, yes. There, were, there was a few years where I didn't have a guitar, but yeah, basically I was playing all this time. So it seems that you were kind of like a closeted artist then. I in, was, In, in yes. a way, you, yeah. because from what you're telling me, you always used this to sustain yourself and to nurture yourself, but you'd never tried to explore any other outlets for it. It was just for, for you. You weren't putting it out in the universe. Yes. Do you think that was because of fear, or do you think that was just because you weren't ready, or you didn't know how to do it? A, a lot of it was fear. Uh, you know, growing up where I did, that part of life isn't really wasn't really encouraged that much. You just have so many people in your life telling you no or can't, can't or won't. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's so hard to move past that. Yeah. And some people don't. Yeah. Then they end up being horribly unfulfilled, and sometimes I think that that thwarting of the desire comes out again in, in, in a very not positive way. Mm-hmm. But luckily for you, you fell into a crowd that was doing stuff. And then something happened that made Mike Cho want to do storytelling. So what <laughs> was that? What was that? Um, I first became aware of storytelling. Uh, there was this cable channel that's not around anymore called Trio. Mm, and, I remember yeah, that. And they used to show the moth. There was a show. That's right. There was a TV there was show, a, the yes, moth. Yes, there was a moth show. I remember that. And I remember watching that and just one, like, I had no idea what I was watching. Because, you know, at the time, people going up on stage and and speaking, you know, the only context for that is you're either, a, 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 you know, a, like a slam poet or a stand-up comedian. But, you know, watching this moth on TV and, um, like, I, I was just fascinated just because, like, I couldn't figure out, like, what I was looking at. It was it was very strange, but very compelling. And then a couple of years later, I, I was going to a lot of kind of uh, variety shows and burlesque shows. And then there were a lot of shows that had like a storytelling component to it. And I remember watching it for the first time and thinking like, oh, this is that weird thing that I used to watch on TV. So I started getting into it. I started learning names and following people and going to more shows. Who were some of the people that that you were following? Uh, the first the very first one definitely was uh, Brad Lawrence mm, yeah he's fantastic yeah I love him um, and he does burlesque too yeah and and through Brad I found out about Cindy Freeman I, I was following her on on Facebook and I saw that she was teaching a class through story studio so I said oh you know this is fun I can sign up for that but I primarily took the class because I thought it would help me with my writing uh, which it did and uh, the performance part of it like I was not expecting to enjoy it as much as mm. I did but, you know, there was something about that that I, I really liked. So that was a great surprise for you? Yeah. So for someone that had always been, like, mild and introverted, I'm going to guess, yes. to suddenly find yourself that I want to be in front of people, was that, like, some kind of, like, epiphany, revelation or oh, something yeah. to no, you? Yeah, the, I remember the first time I played music in front of people. I was at an open mic, and it was that, that was revelatory. But uh, particularly storytelling, just because you're... You know, typically saying something very personal for me, especially with all of my notebooks and my in my hidden drawers and corners of the closet. You know, it's just something that you always uh, that's something that I had always kept inside. And then suddenly, I'm like up on stage and telling a bunch of strangers, and people were laughing and gasping and you know, snapping their fingers and clapping. And I, it was amazing. It's an amazing feeling when yeah. you feel the energy of a receptive audience. It's almost like you're doing this energy transfer. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's magical. It I, is I magical. I like it a lot. Um, do you remember the, what was the first show that you performed on? The first story show that you did? The first story show that I 
did was uh, there was a, a group of friends of mine uh, called the Gay Geeks of New York. They do uh, they do trivia nights and they uh, put on events and things. And one night, just kind of randomly, I thought they had an like a, a talent show, an open mic. And uh, this was actually the day after the 2016 election. Mm. Yeah. So you know there was supposed to be a theme for the show, but of course, all anybody wanted to talk about was was the uh, election. That was the very first one. Um, the, the first one was supposed to be the uh, the class show from the Story Studio class, but I had to miss that one because I had to uh, I to get emergency surgery that day. Oh, dear. Everything is fine now? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'll show you the scar later if you Ooh, want to see Oh, scar it. on the egg. What? Uh, no, I broke my uh, I broke my collarbone. Ouch! Ow! Oh, that's so hard to heal. Yeah. Because you can't you can't stabilize it. Yeah. Oh, ow! So I had to wear this crazy thing. So, um, have you ever done the moth? Uh, no, I just went to my first moth uh, the other week. I've been kind of avoiding the moth because oh. I I don't like the competitive aspect. Hmm to it I find it very strange I know that's not the point to me it just feels very strange that there's like scoring and winners and losers I think that came out of poetry slams and you know people are different some people take that competitiveness very seriously other people are just like I'm going to tell a story and let it fall where it where it falls right so I think that this is a good time for me to say a little pescado says that you have a story to share for us uh yeah it actually uh, relates to my, my broken collarbone. Oh, my gosh. Have you told it before? Uh, yeah, I've told it before. I don't really have a name for it. Okay. So take it away, Mike Joe. Okay. So this was in October of 2016, and uh, I was in a stupid accident, and I broke my collarbone. And for six weeks, I had to walk around with this crazy thing with this like it, it was a sling but it wasn't just like your regular arm sling it was it had this like foam pad and a hand rest and all these straps that went everywhere so yeah just like talking about having to learn things at, at, a, at a late age you know like how do you take a shower or change clothes or open a can of cat food with one arm it's it's harder than anything yeah so i i spent a lot of time just hiding out in my apartment for the first few weeks and one of the only people who actually saw me wearing this huge crazy arm thing was uh this lady kathy she's the clerk at the the local grocery store she's this uh, slight asian lady with these round glasses and she has this huge laugh and she's just friends with everybody she chats up everybody in the store like everybody in the neighborhood knows kathy so um over the weeks of going to the store we kind of fall into this joke. She's always very chatty, but we fall into this joke where she'll pull and point to my arm and she'll ask 100%. And I would ask, I would answer her, you know, like maybe 20%. Uh, over the weeks and going to the grocery store, uh, you know, two or three times a week, you know, slowly the answer becomes 30% or 45%. And, you know, I'm getting better and I'm healing. And then it's November of 2016. And then it's the election day. And then the entire bottom of the world just falls out from under me. And the first few days after the election, everybody was just kind of sleepwalking, you know, in the days, in a fog. Like, nobody knew what to do. Um, so a couple weeks after the election, uh, I'm back at the store. I'm getting groceries, and Kathy's ringing me up, and she points to my arm like she always does, and she asks, you know, 100%. And I say, like, you know, maybe 80%, because, you know, by then I was getting better. I'd been downgraded to just a regular arm sling instead of that crazy contraption. And uh, 
So she's ringing up my groceries, and we're just doing our usual chit-chat. And then suddenly she gets very quiet, and she asks me, oh, what did you think of the election? So this is uh, actually something that's happened to me a couple t- a bunch of times in the last few years, where um, just like random people, like store clerks and the lady who cuts my hair, they'll just like... They want, they want to talk about what's happening in the world, but it always starts with them asking a very kind of innocent question, like, what did you think of the election, or what do you think about Trump? And the people who are always uh, asking me these questions, they're always, you know, they're immigrants, um, either first generation or at least old enough to remember where they left and why they had to leave and how hard it was to come over here. And, you know, you get the sense that people need to talk about what's going on in the world, but it's it, it's hard to like try to figure out, especially with strangers, like who is safe to talk to and who isn't. So, to answer Kathy's question, I start telling her about my election night experience. That you know, I was with friends and we were at their apartment and we were drinking. And you you know you remember that that night, everybody was feeling very celebratory in the beginning because you know we thought we had this in the bag. So I tell Kathy, you know, we were all so happy at the beginning of the night. And suddenly her face just completely freezes. And I realized that she has misheard me and she thinks I'm saying that we were happy about the result. So I very quickly reiterate, we were happy at the beginning of the night, but, but as the night went on and the results came in and we saw what was happening, we, you know, we were devastated. The world, you know, our world was destroyed. So Kathy, she nods and she finishes ringing up my groceries and she asks me if I have any family in the area. And she tells me that uh, she moved here from Malaysia eight years ago. And she loves New York, but she hates the winters. And she's thinking of moving in with her sister in Vegas, where it's like 120 degrees at midnight, but still better than one more New York winter. So these conversations that I've, that I've had in the past, you know, with the store clerks and the lady who cuts my hair, they always end the same way. They always end with them asking some form of the question of, what do we do now? And I never know how to answer that question. But Kathy, she doesn't ask that. Instead, she just points at my arm and again asks. So next time, 100%. And, you know, even though I know it's impossible and even though I know it's a lie, the only thing I can answer her is yes, next time, 100%. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. Your story just made me think about how you talked about being a writer all through your life. Was this a story that you had written out first, or was this something that came out in a class? Yes. I can picture like reading this in a collection of short stories. Thank you. I, you no, for real. I mean, I don't got. I don't have to say <laughs> anything. I'm, I'm telling yeah. you the, how I feel. So, do you think that storytelling has changed your writing at all, or do you think that being a writer this whole time prepared you to be a storyteller? Uh, I think. I think both. Um, after you know, after. after doing storytelling for a while you realize that it's a lot different from writing so it's you know it's like learning a whole different skill set well, yes. I think both sides they they inform each other a lot definitely yeah and are you still pursuing creative writing or, do you, or is most of your focus now on on the storytelling and being a performer I split between both of those things I have to tell you Mike ever since I saw you doing that your performance art with uh, the, the cat the cat and music thing with Jeff at I Have a Crazy Idea last year, I just need to know, do you foresee yourself doing more of that type of performance? 
Uh, I would I would like to do it more. You know, last year I tried to do a, a project on YouTube where I I recorded a song, one song every week. That was the plan, as the the cat character, which basically. You know, to the to the to the viewer, it just translates to me wearing a mask and singing a song. But in my head, it's a it's a whole process. I'm a whole different character, whether you whether you see it or not. But that cat character is your actual cat, and you have a famous cat on Instagram. Uh, yeah, my cat is Instagram famous. Yeah, my mint. <laughs> I I learn a lot from her. Yes, kitties are awesome. You said earlier that you thought of yourself as a late bloomer. Mm -hmm. So it seems like you finally have been able to find an outlet to let your weird out. Uh, yes. I, I just like trying different things. So where do you see your wonderful weirdiness going forward? I, you know, there's no plan. Wherever it takes me. I like you know, that. You, I, you I, I wouldn't have known I would be sitting here two years ago, you know? You have a very uh, different... You're very laid back. That's the California thing. Yes, yeah, the California <laughs> thing. I suppose to mean New York. Aggression. <laughs> Bite. Chew. Chill. <laughs> I just want to say that ever since last year, you have been on almost every single storytelling show known to New York City and other places. You are being booked everywhere. So you're like kind of becoming storytelling's uh, it human. It cat. You're the it cat. It cat. <laughs> like they used to say hep cat in the 1950s. <laughs> yeah, that's my cat character. If so, if people want to know more about you, if they want to see a performance or learn more about you and your stories, where can they find you? Uh, well, I have um, a photo blog, and it's nycityofmike.blogspot.com. So photography is another thing that I enjoy doing. Well, they, they, this um, keeps coming out. Next, you're going to tell me that, uh, that you're a dancer. <laughs> you, you, you're a break uh, dancer. No, I, I would like to learn to dance. Um, Maybe in the future. Yeah. So, um, oh, do you have a website? Uh, the uh, yeah, nycityofmike.blogspot.com. That's that's the main thing. Um, on Facebook, you can just follow nycityofmike, or you can try to friend, friend me at Mike Cho. Although, if I don't know who you are and we don't have any mutual friends, I'm, I may not friend you. But you can follow my photo account, and I will be very happy about that. And, of course, there's um, Instagram, Mint. Uh, yeah, well, that's not me. That's my right. cat. Well, but you if, know, it is you. Now, come if, on. <laughs> if, you would, if you would like to follow my cat on Instagram, her Instagram is Mint, Mint, Mintstagram. Three mints. Um, but, you know, I have no idea what she's doing with it. I have no responsibility for the things that she posts, um, you know. But the content is prime. Uh, I enjoy it. Yes, I, and, and so do I. That's why I'm <laughs> mentioning it, like, for the third time. So, um, Mike, I asked this question of everyone when we come to the end of our chat together. If you had a word or two of advice or encouragement for another weirdo, uh -huh. be it a child or someone who's a late bloomer and knows that they have something in them that they want to get out, but they don't know how. Like I found out that, oh, well, photographer, musician, or like all these things. So if you wanted to give some advice or encouragement for this person that wants to get their wonderful weirdness out, but either from the constraints of their upbringing or environment or circumstances, they haven't been able to find that outlet or way yet. What would you tell this person? All right. I thought about this, and I was going to, you know, just say something, some one of the usual things, like keep trying and don't give up and all that stuff. But for me, what it comes down to is, this is going to sound kind of depressing, but I just want to 
put out the reminder that the first time you do something, it's going to suck. And I don't care if you're Stephen King or you're Bruce Springsteen or you just found a trombone in your basement and you're blowing into it for the first time. The first time is going to be terrible. And it's supposed to be terrible. You know, like um, things get better because you keep trying and because you edit and you polish and you rewrite and you and you and you retry it. And uh, yeah, you know, like every every book or song or movie or comic book that you love, it all started with just notes in a notebook or or you know scratches on a cocktail napkin. That if you saw it, you would think this is terrible. Don't do this. But the the reason why it exists and the reason why people love it is. Because you had to keep you keep that you kept at it and you kept working at it. So um, yeah, so I encourage people to try everything, you know, or, you know artistically to, to try everything. If any, whatever calls out to you, whatever is interesting to you, just try it. And the first time, it's going to suck, and it's supposed to suck. But if you like it and you enjoy it, then you just keep doing it, and that's how it gets better, and that's how art is created. And it's kind of like that Malcolm Gladwell thing, like 10,000 hours. Yeah. Right? When you do something for 10,000 hours, hopefully you'll be good. Yeah. So it's not maybe keep trying, it's keep doing. Yes. Wise words from a wise man. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mike Cho, thank you for being on Fish Out of Agua. Thank you for having me. Hug on the air. Hug on the Woo-hoo. air. Woohoo! We always end with a hug on the air.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard Bright Light, Bright Light with Cry at Films from their Make Me Believe in Hope album that came out in 2012. Well, kids, that's our show. You have been listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Subscribe to our newsletter. Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and look at the tabs and subscribe and you'll hear about all the fabulous things that we do every month. Well, we do the fabulous things every, every day, every hour, every minute, but you can find out about them every month. We're going to close with the last of Mike Cho's song picks. This is from Alex Wong, A City on a Lake. The song is called Are You Listening? from the album A City on the Lake that came out in 2012. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you next week. Woohoo! When the hum of the city overtakes you And you can't breathe at all Is it drowning you? Is it drowning you? When the noise and the demons and the chatter It make you feel so small They're surrounding you They're surrounding you When you finally give up fighting And the silence starts to call Are you listening? Are you listening? Or can you hear it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me, can you hear it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me, can you hear it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me, can you hear it? Tell me, can you hear this sound? Tell me, can you hear this sound that brings you back to home? It is something so familiar, you remember how it goes, it was always there, it is always there, it's a song that's written in Thank you.